The first reading for the second Sunday after Easter comes from Acts chapter 5, verses 29 through 42. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan of this un or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading, epistle reading, comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord.
Gospel according to St. John, the 20th chapter. Glory, Glory to you, Lord. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and put out your hand, and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ is risen. A week has gone by since our Easter celebration, but as we read in the Gospel lesson there, it is still that Easter Sunday. It's been really only just a little bit over 48 hours for the disciples, but I'm sure that it probably seemed like a week for them too. Since that dark Friday afternoon and the waiting around on Saturday and now Sunday here, the first day of the week, they're huddled behind locked doors. I'm sure they've experienced a week's worth of fear and consternation and remorse. They are without their teacher, without their head. What are they supposed to do? What is God's purpose for them now? What message would they give if they went out as Jesus had sent them out? Is that what they're supposed to do? Go out? What would they say? What would they preach? Have Jesus' teachings about the coming kingdom been for nothing? A kingdom needs a king. And right now, that's a problem. Not only that, but political forces 
are on the move, the, the leaders of Israel, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, the whole Sanhedrin, they've made good on their threats. They've killed Jesus, killed their, their leader, killed their head. And not only that, but they have joined forces with Rome, with the enemy, to do it. Putting, to Jesus, putting Jesus to death was a strategic decision by Pilate, a way to control, you know, give some concession to the crowds, keep there from being a riot. And it was a political and religious victory for the Jewish leadership. What would stop them now from arresting every one of the disciples, cutting down not just the head, but the body of their group. We hear from our reading in Acts how Theodos had risen up uh, in a way maybe kind of like Jesus and he had gathered a following. We're told 400 people following him and we can read about Theodos uh, in Josephus, the Jewish historian, he talks about how Theodos styled himself some sort of a prophet or a messiah and was gathering people to himself. And Rome found out about it too. And one day as Theodos rode out with his followers, they attacked and killed many of those people and Theodos as well. Being leaderless, the rest of his followers dispersed and the uprising came to nothing. And then again in Josephus we can read and we read it in, in Acts that after him a certain Judas rose up, similar kind of thing, claiming to be some sort of Messiah, gathered a following, Josephus says a greater following than Theodos, more dangerous to Rome, and so he too was killed, and this endeavor came to nothing. And these disciples of Jesus, now they're just a really small band compared to that. What will be their fate? Will the Sanhedrin come after them also? Are their lives in peril? And that's why they're behind locked doors. And locked doors, doors is not a real common phrase in the scriptures, it probably means that not only was the room locked that they were in, but so was the house that they were meeting in. Doors were locked to protect them. And John tells us, for fear of the Jews, for fear of what would happen to them. But there has to be a lot more on their minds than just the Sanhedrin. A lot more than just that sort of fear where is Jesus? The women had gone to the tomb early in the morning and they had come back with reports of the body being missing, even of having seen Jesus. Pretty hard to believe those women to believe that account. If he is alive, where is he? What's he doing? It's been all day. Is he plotting his revenge against Rome or against the Jews, against the Sanhedrin? 
And they might have to ask themselves, what about us? After the way that they had deserted him in the Garden of Gethsemane, even after they had insisted that they would not ever leave him, even that they would die with him, they all just ran away. And they've had some time to think about that. What would Jesus think of them? If he is alive, he certainly has reason to abandon them, to uh, wash his hands of them, start over again, maybe with a few faithful women, like God did with Noah in the flood, ridding the world of a sinful generation, starting over with a faithful few. And who could blame Jesus if he did think that? Certainly none of them deserved to sit at his right and his left in the kingdom. But maybe he isn't alive after all. And so our reading today begins with them huddled behind locked doors, fear, uncertainty, and then suddenly, without any warning, there he is in their midst. He just appears there. It's not like he walked through the doors or something like that. He was just there. What a startling apparition. Is he a ghost? They're afraid, we're told. Jesus says the one thing that needs to be said to them, peace be with you. Now peace, uh, you know, we know it in the Hebrew, shalom, right? Uh, uh, peace is not just a greeting like we'd say. It was a greeting then, but that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not saying, hi, I'm here. When Jesus says, peace be with you, he's actually delivering peace to the disciples. Peace between God and man, as the angels were announcing at his birth out there in the hills to the shepherds. Peace. The Son of God, who on the cursed cross made atonement for the sins of the world, for the sins of those disciples. Now he announces to them that there is nothing anymore between God and man, between him and his disciples, his friends. All of their sins taken care of. Nothing now to separate them from God. And we see here in this greeting, we see God's mercy. We see God's love for sinners displayed. Uh, you know, it's hard to imagine that Jesus' first words to them would be peace after what they had done in leaving him, deserting him, denying him, refusing to believe the witness of the women, cowering behind closed and locked doors. Jesus comes among them in love and joy and announces peace. And they've certainly done nothing to earn or merit or deserve that mercy from Jesus. And yet it is true that his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to pay for all of the sins that they had committed, that we have committed, that have ever been committed in this world. 
Yet even his sudden appearance among them is not proof enough for them. It's a spirit. It's a ghost, they think. Wait, no, it isn't. He shows them the marks of the, hand, of the nails in his hands and in his feet, the spear thrust wound in his side. He displays this all to them. He says, see, it's me. I am Jesus who was crucified. I'm not some pretender. And when they have seen the marks, when they've handled his body, satisfied themselves that it really is Jesus, their master, risen bodily from the dead, when there can be no mistake about it, then they are filled with joy. And the Apostle John, young John, who is there at the time, he will later on write, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, this we proclaim to you. Peace be with you, Jesus says. And perhaps the disciples only just begin in some really small way to understand that this was the point of Jesus' ministry. This was the point of his incarnation. This was the, the point and the purpose of his suffering and his death and his resurrection from the dead. Jesus' death on the cross, the work that he finished there, that he announced was finished there, that this was the restoration of peace between God and man, a peace that had been shattered when man sinned against God, because sin will always create separation, conflict between two parties, between God and man, but between man and man. Do you know this? In sinning, we live for ourselves. We don't live for the other. As sinners, we could never be with God because His holiness cannot be in relationship with unholiness. By taking our sin to the cross, Jesus removed that separation. He reconciled us to God. And so we are at peace with him. He is at peace with you. Isaiah 53 says this in these familiar words. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. And isn't it great that Thomas was not there that first evening? He was not there with those disciples. We're not told where he was or what he was doing. And so the scene repeats itself. A week later, this day, the second Sunday of Easter, when Thomas is with them, again behind locked doors. A whole week has gone by now. Must have seemed like an eternity. Again, where is Jesus? What's he doing? Why isn't he with us? Jesus appears in their midst and says, again, peace be with you. It is taken as an indication that Jesus is going to meet us as we worship on Sunday 
morning, on Sunday afternoon, here. Jesus comes and he meets with us here. Why did he wait a whole week? Maybe it's to establish this precedent. Thomas says, look, unless I myself see with my own eyes, unless I touch him with my own fingers, unless I put my fingers into the prints of the nails and put my hand in the side and really Jesus, when he says, okay, Thomas, do it, Jesus says, thrust your hand in here and see. But Pete, Thomas says, unless I do this myself, I will not believe. And what a blessing to us, I think, that it happened this way. And Jesus, when he appears to Thomas, he shows that he, he was really there. He heard what Thomas had said because he says, peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas right away and he says, satisfy yourself. Do it. Put your fingers here. Put your hand into my side. Thrust it there. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas had to know. So did the disciples. None of them believed. Can't uh, fault Thomas for not believing. And we have these witnesses so rock solid in their testimony about Jesus being alive. They were convinced. It wasn't a wishful thinking. You know, we saw a ghost and we, we know he's alive. You know, we wish, we hope he's alive. We think he's alive. We're going to say he's alive. No, they knew that he was alive. Thomas is assured by Jesus beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is indeed risen from the dead, so much so that Thomas and the others are going to go to their deaths confessing that fact, that Jesus is risen from the dead. And Thomas in particular, it is said, was killed by spear thrusts, martyred for his confession. But even in that, his confession remained unshaken. No doubt in Thomas's mind, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. We might say that the church today still struggles in some manner to get out from behind locked doors, to get out into the world. We might not fear the authorities around us like the disciples did in that day, but there's a lot for us to feel like we have to be wary of in 21st century America. An increasing hostility to Christianity. Our culture of consumerism that's increasingly more and more pagan. A world that seems to be so unstable. And the list could go on and on. The temptation for us is to focus on our fear, a fear that paralyzes us. But perhaps one takeaway from this gospel reading that we should take to heart is Jesus' words when he says, do not be afraid. If what looks like betrayal and abandonment in the Garden of Gethsemane on the part of the disciples and a pagan judge passing an unjust death sentence and the victory of ungodly men over an innocent son of God, the complete humiliation 
and murder of the rightful king of kings, if God can use all of this to restore a right relationship between us sinners and a holy, just, righteous God, then we really do have nothing to fear. Our sins are forgiven. We are more than just creature and creator in relationship. We are children of our Heavenly Father, destined for resurrection ourselves and eternal life. And the word that Jesus spoke to those disciples that first Easter day and the, that second Easter celebration day, that second Sunday, peace be with you. Peace, your sins are forgiven. Do not fear the world. I have overcome it. That word comes to you and to me today just as powerfully, just as important, and with the same authority as it came to those disciples that Easter Sunday. Jesus comes into our midst today and he speaks peace to you and to me. He spoke peace to you in your baptism when you were joined to his death and resurrection. That peace is spoken to every time you return to a remembrance of your baptism, to repentance, it's spoken to you. God speaks it to you through your pastor, through my words, when I pronounce that your sins are forgiven. Jesus speaks those words to you. And that peace is spoken to you again this morning at his table. When in, with, and under the bread and the wine of communion, we receive the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. That lifts us from our fears. His voice speaks to you and says, this is for you, given for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then we rise from the table in peace and we depart, go out into the world. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. The Lord will not be bound, and his followers are not bound. They do not cower behind locked doors. He sends us out into the world, and we don't go empty-handed. He breathes his Holy Spirit upon us, just as surely as he breathed it on his disciples that first Easter day. And with that, we are sent out into the world to be a voice of peace, to declare that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, that his forgiveness of sins is for everyone. Share the gospel with the, word, with the world with voices of power, not because we are louder than the world or wiser than the world or more entertaining than other voices, but because through our voice, Jesus himself speaks peace to a world estranged by sin. Risen Lord Jesus, give us your Holy Spirit that we might be voices of peace amid the chaos around us.
that all who are locked behind doors of fear, sin, sickness, and even death might hear your words. Peace be with you. In the name of Jesus, amen.